Christ Jesus, He is our sure and steady anchor in these days of uncertainty. Christ is worthy of our trust. Christ, He is our confidence. His judgments are true. His rule and reign is altogether righteous. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10 reads this, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which we free, He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of His glory. Father in heaven, we do come boldly in Jesus Christ this morning. We're seeking favor from You this morning. We ask that You give us power in the Holy Spirit you would give us enabling grace that we would make much of Jesus Christ in our study this morning. We ask for your grace to illuminate the text that we might understand it. Grace to inflame our hearts to glorify you in Christ. Grace to engage our will in faithful obedience. We plead with you, God, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, who is our prophet, our priest, and our king. Amen. If you would, turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. Uh, that's the last book in the Bible, page 2042 in my Bible. That doesn't help you, but this morning we're going to consider verses 9 through 11. We're going to begin um, by reading the passage under consideration, and then we'll dissect the passage in context uh, for understanding and application. I will warn you of this, that... Uh, Although I say it's 9 through 11, I'm going to spend a good chunk of our morning in verse 9. I was trying to plumb the riches of this passage this week and, and thought that I would uh, preach uh, verse 9 through verse 20. Uh, after I was mid through, midway through my study of verse 9, I realized that was going to be an impossibility. For those of you who have been faithfully attending, you will see that uh, there will be some repetition this morning from the previous weeks, because we are trying to set a foundation for how we will interpret and understand the whole book. When we get into the difficult portions of the book, we want to come back to being grounded in this section. This will help us in the things that might be a little confusing. When things are getting confusing, you go back again, like we were talking this morning with, uh, with Joe, you, you go back uh, to the landmarks. And this really is the landmark for the, for the whole book. So, as you are able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's infallible, inerrant word of God from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus 
was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. This is God's word. Y'all may be seated. So to help us with background, again, I'm going to remind us of this, that the book of Revelation is a heavenly commentary of what God has done in Christ Jesus. So the book is a commentary from heaven on what God has accomplished in Christ Jesus, if we're thinking about the book as a whole. Over the past two weeks, we've studied verses 1 through 8, and we have discovered this, that the Lord's return is imminent, and that the Lord will return quickly, It will be suddenly. It'll be in a day and on in an hour that you and I do not expect. But armed with that knowledge, armed with that knowledge of his imminent return, the faithful and sensible servants of Jesus Christ will be found doing his master's bidding. That is, that the Christian, the church, will be found faithfully serving the king's mission. But as we know, And this is where we live. And where we live is how he'll find us, right? Because it's going to come suddenly and quickly. We don't know the day or the hour. So it will come upon us. If he came today, he would find a people for whom he died living in a world of opposition. Rampant evil will be going on in their midst. Does it sound like where we live? When the faithful witness comes, he he may find those who call themselves by his name living in sin, error, and apostasy. When the firstborn from the dead comes, he will come to a remnant, though, that are loved by Christ, that are hanging on to Christ, faithfully enduring much hardship, looking to the day when his promises will come and they will be complete. Those for whom Christ died I want us to get this this morning and throughout our study. Those for whom Christ died will live like it. They will live like it. The death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ actually accomplishes salvation. I want us to get this. That that the death, resurrection, and, and Christ's ascension to heaven, it actually completely and fully accomplishes our salvation. It fully accomplishes our transformation. It fully accomplishes the Spirit's transformation in our lives. And there's a warning to the church, and that is to claim the name of Christ is not enough to save you in that hour. That is what I mean is if, if it's just words... Right? We have seen this for years and years and years. There would be these big evangelism uh, outreaches these, in these big stadiums, right? And they would prompt this. They would feed it. They would have guys from, from their organization would walk down an aisle ahead of time so that other people would follow down the aisle. And then at the end of it, they gave them this assurance that they were indeed saved. Because they said some prayer or they said some name of Jesus. There's no transformation going on there. 
Right? I want us to be sure that just by saying the name of Jesus, if He finds you and you He calls and He sees that there's no transformation in your life, that you are living in error, that you're living in sin, and that you are far away from what the Gospel of Jesus Christ teaches and does, that you have not received what God did in Him. I don't want you to be fooled by that at all. Because there's a promise to us that I talked to you about in Matthew 24. I'm going to repeat it this morning. In verse 50 and 51 of Matthew 24, the master of that slave, that is the one who is one in name only, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour which he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In the play, in that place, there will be weeping and a gnashing of teeth. See, in that hour, there will be weeping among those who, who, who know not this. This is what they know. Why would one weep? Because they know it's not God who's to blame. God is not to blame. If He comes and He finds you faithless, God is not to blame. God is not to blame. Because the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ received by faith actually accomplishes salvation. It actually accomplishes a spiritual transformation in a person's life. It actually accomplishes what God sent out for it to do. It would be our own sinful heart that would cause us to not heed the warnings that we hear in the Scripture. And so today we're going to answer a couple of questions. We're going to answer a couple of questions. In the world of trouble, where does the faithful Christian find confidence? How does a faithful and sensible servant make sense of the trouble? For those of you who are note takers, uh, I think we have an outline up here. There you go. Uh, we have an outline for this morning's message. I did intend to put all of my scriptural references again in and uh, somehow... I lost my slide, so I'm sorry I don't have those for you this morning. But what we're going to see is we're going to see an introduction to the prophetic word. And first, John is introduced. And then we see that it is the Spirit that moves the prophet. And when the Spirit moves the prophet, he is moved according to the Lord's direction, what the Lord directs him to speak. So we're going, to th we're going to think again about what we thought about last week, about heeding, hearing and heeding, right? We, we, we made, I made a case last week that we, we should heed and hear this word because it comes from heaven. It comes from the Christ of heaven, from the one who accomplished it, but it's coming through a bondservant, one like us. And so this morning, I want to show you reasons why you ought to heed even the bondservant. And the reason why you ought to heed the bondservant is that it is he is a spirit-filled man doing not his own will, but doing the will of the one who sent him the message. Right? So you must heed his word. So he's making this case. We will see. So let's look at verse 9. And I'll stop and make some points, but I'm not even going to complete verse 9. I, John, your brother. So he begins, I, John, your brother. We're going to begin here to hear from the prophet of God, the apostle John. He's been given a heaven-sent message concerning the imminent return of the master, 
the Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. This heavenly commentary has been communicated to John, and he is charged with giving faithful witness to the other bondservants of Jesus Christ. So he begins by declaring, I too am a bondservant of Christ. I am your brother. John begins his witness declaring that he too is this bondservant. He's like us. He is our brother. He too is loved by Jesus. He too has been released from sin through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So when he begins, I, John, your brother, I'm one of you. But he goes further. He says this, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus. So this is a clause with one article. And the article of this clause is partaker. Tribulation, kingdom, and perseverance are seen as one. You can't separate them. They are together. It's one statement. But the article, the point is that he, like you, is a partaker in kingdom, in tribulation, and in perseverance. And all of those are in Jesus. All of those things are seen together. That which John is experiencing in Jesus, all the bondservants of Christ are soon or will partner and partake in. Tribulation and kingdom are the assignment. Tribulation, kingdom, perseverance are an assignment given to those who are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ through faith. Perseverance and kingdom through tribulation are in Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone. So what, what we need to, to really grab a hold of is this, that just as Christ was declared king through suffering, his kingdom people reign as servants of the king. And they do so through faithful endurance in Christ. They live in that tension that I talked about a couple of weeks ago of the already and the not yet. You're already kingdom people, but the kingdom is not fully consummated yet. But who's included in the consummation of the kingdom when He comes? It is those who have faithfully endured through tribulation. Those who have remained faithful through trial and trouble. Those who have remained in Christ, right? Those who, have, who, who say that, that I am not my own, that I was bought with a price and now I am in Him and He is in me and my brothers and my sisters, they are in Him too. What I experience, they share in. What they experience, I share in because we are in Christ together. It's as if you and I don't exist as individuals, right? We are members of one body, and that is the body of Jesus Christ. We are in Him, and He is in us. And so we can't be separated from that. So we can't separate this idea of kingdom and trouble. We would like to. We would all like to, right? We'd all like to, to forego trouble and just hang on to kingdom. But John here says in verse 9, 
that he's your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Christ Jesus. Why would you need to persevere? Only because there's trouble. There's trouble. There's things coming at you that are opposed to your faith. Just as King was, uh, Jesus was declared king through uh, suffering, his kingdom people reign as servants of the king through faithful endurance in Christ. The consummation of the king kingdom comes to those who faithfully persevere in tribulation by faith. See, perseverance, you think, is in one way, we can think of perseverance as I mustered, I muscled up, I mustered up extra strength to stay faithful. No, I want us to think of that statement of perseverance as preserved. That it is Christ who holds on to us. We are preserved in Him through trouble, through trial. We are preserved in Him. He preserves us through trial and trouble if we live by faith. That's who, that's who the kingdom belongs to, right? The king, kingdom belongs to those who say, Lord, I am poor in spirit. I am poor in spirit, but you, you preserve me. You take me through all of this. As we think about this idea of kingdom and trouble going hand in hand, one of the things that jumped out at me is Paul in Acts chapter 14, he, uh, he goes to the churches that he had laid a foundation for, and there's much trial. There's many things coming against him. They've, they've kicked him out, right? They tried to stone him and kill him. And then when he's coming back to revisit those churches, you know what he, he does? He strengthens the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and listen to what he says to them. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The road to glory is paved with suffering. Tribulation and kingdom and faithful endurance are the assignment of the born again. Philippians 1.29 tells us that this is basically a gift. I want to turn there. Philippians 1.29. This is, this is granted to you, it says. Philippians 1.29. For, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but to suffer for His sake. Granted to you. Given. We like to reject that gift, don't we? In John's Gospel, there's, there's a promise from Jesus to His disciples. This is not likely a promise that you would put on a post-it note and put on your, on your mirror so that you could be reminded of this every morning. But this is a promise that comes from Jesus. But perhaps it ought to be something that you put on your mirror to remind you of this, to remind you of what Jesus says in John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. 
In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Jesus promises that we would have peace through tribulation. For those who have faith, this is what we believe. We believe that as Christ has suffered and overcome, we too will overcome in Him. That He will preserve us all the way to the end. That He is the one who is hanging on to us. But there's no escape clause from tribulation that is now and will soon take place. That's one thing I want us to to grab a hold of. There is no escape clause from the trouble that is in the world. But there's hope. And there's strength. And it's all in Jesus. And He promises that He will preserve us to the end if we remain faithful. And He promises that He is the one who was faithful. You see, when God gives to us salvation... It is God's salvation to give, isn't it? It's God's salvation to hang on to. When God gives you faith, it is His faith. It is His faithfulness that He has given to you. That is, it is Him working in you and holding on to you and preserving you all the way to the end. One of the prevalent teachings of the church that is erroneous, I think, and it's this notion that we can have all the benefits of Christ with none of the hardship. There is this notion that we can somehow have all the benefits of Christ, but none of the hardship that comes with it. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, looking at verses 10 through 12, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, listen to this. Pay attention to this. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be Persecuted. Those who have been drawn by Christ out of the world and into the kingdom become participants. They become partners, fellow partakers in kingdom, fellow partakers in his sufferings, fellow partakers in being preserved by faith alone in Christ alone. And this is a power that comes to us and through us by God's grace alone. Because you see, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only that you believe in Him, but also that you suffer for His sake. It has been granted to you. I, John, verse 9, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I want us to take note. John, who's currently exiled to the island of Patmos, he is currently in the midst of suffering. He is currently partaking also in kingdom. He's a participant in the kingdom now, and he's a participant in that he is suffering trial. They're going on at the same time. He is also one who's being preserved by faith in Christ at the same time. And he is currently doing something else. He is currently testifying to the Word of God concerning the good news of Jesus Christ. He is currently being preserved in Christ through faith. Take another note. John's not pleading 
for relief from suffering. He's not bemoaning his current state. He's not resigned to his current suffering. But he knows that the road to the full realization of the kingdom is through faithful perseverance in suffering. I wonder if we see the reason that the church is marginalized and the kingdom of Christ is somehow uh, diminished in our lives and in our communities is because we have simply avoided suffering. We simply avoid it. We simply avoid trouble. I'll explain what I mean by this text uh, through verse 9. Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He gives us the reason for his suffering. The reason for his suffering is because he testifies to the authority of the word of God. He testifies to the good news of Jesus Christ. He says that he is a man who stands upon the authority of Scripture, and therefore the world causes him to suffer. He is one who does not shrink back from declaring that the Word of God is superior to any secular humanistic thought. Secondly, John is unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's one who boldly proclaims that Christ has freedom from his sins, that peace with God comes by faith in Christ, that without Christ there is no peace, without Christ there is no hope, that eternal life is found in Christ and Christ alone, that he truly believes that the way, the truth, and the life is only in Christ Jesus, that there's no other way. And he proclaims this. And for this reason, he is under persecution. He has been exiled to an island. History says that he was boiled in a vat of oil for the sake of the kingdom. It is what was appointed to him. He's not bemoaning his condition. He just says, this is a matter of fact. I'm a partaker in kingdom. I'm a partaker in tribulation. I'm a partaker in that being preserved in Christ Jesus. All of that. I'm in Him. What He is, I am. What He is, I am. What He did, I have to do. That's really what He's saying. But I'd like to tell you this, church. You can avoid persecution. If you live your life as though godliness doesn't matter. You can avoid persecution. If you take the command of Scripture to make all uh, make disciples of all nations as a suggestion and not a command, you can avoid persecution. If disciple-making commands only apply to those Christians who have been set apart for full-time ministry, if that's your thinking, you can avoid persecution. If you keep the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ quiet and private, you can avoid persecution. But when the Lord returns, you will find much to your own heartache and shame. You will find much to your own heartache and shame that you were never a partner in the kingdom of God. Because you were faithless. Because you avoided partnership in Christ on His terms. And according to His time. You cannot be a partaker and a partner in kingdom if you fail to trust in the preserving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in all things. Avoidance of suffering, what does it display? It displays a lack of faith. If I avoid it, if I avoid suffering at all costs, that's, that is a very human thing to do, right? I, I'm, I don't want to beat you up about this, but it is a very human thing to do, right? 
The path of least resistance is the one we want to take. Ease and comfort is what we want. But if we avoid being faithful so that we can have peace and calm and tranquility in our lives, when He comes, we will be ashamed. We'll be ashamed that He comes and He finds us lacking faith. You might be able to be one of those who says it with your words, but you never actually participated in kingdom. You might say with your words, I am in Christ, I'm part of the kingdom. But if you avoid the trouble that God has assigned to you by being quiet, by not ruffling any feathers, by sharing the gospel to people who are opposed to it, you might find this, that the master of that slave comes on a day when he doesn't know or expect him and an hour which he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. To be assigned a place with the hypocrites, what does that mean? That means that you confessed one thing and lived totally differently. Your confession and your life didn't match. They didn't line up. To avoid suffering is to display a lack of faith. See, the time of the Lord's return is at hand, and soon He will come. And it will be a day and an hour when everything gets separated. He will separate the partakers, the partners, from the pretenders. The faithful and sensible servant will be found attending to the kingdom, partaking and participating in its expansion, faithfully under the authority of God's Word and testifying to Jesus Christ. The pretenders will be assigned a place with the faithless. That which the prophet John is partaking in, kingdom, tribulation, and perseverance, is in partnership with Christ and with anyone who would be called faithful. So I'm going to ask us this morning to, to as you're sitting here, ponder this thought. Think deeply about it. Ask the Lord to reveal this to your spirit, to your soul. Are you a partner or are you a pretender? Are you a partner or are you a pretender? Maybe you're here today and you go, I don't know if I'm either. I don't know whether I'm pretending or I'm partnering. Somebody invited me here. I came. I'm here. I don't know whether I'm a partner in the kingdom. I don't know if I'm pretending to be something that I'm not. I don't know. I don't know why even this kingdom of Christ and this thing that this guy is talking to me about even matters. Maybe you don't know. If this is you, if this is you, God the Creator and Judge of all His creatures. See, a long time ago, we had a common ancestor named Adam and Eve, and they rebelled against the king of the world. They transgressed holy God, and they were essentially removed from the kingdom. And everyone born after Adam inherited their now fallen nature and their propensity to go against the king and to go against the kingdom. But God, who is the king, he loved people that were created in his image. And though they distorted that image horribly, he had a plan. And he had a plan through the long history of the people of God, those people, Israel, who he chose. There was one who was to come. And this one who was to come would be a, a king like no other. He would be the exact imprint of God. He would have the king's nature. He would come as one of us. But he would live like none of us. He would remain faithful to the king. He would be faithful to God. He would trust in God, even through suffering, even through persecution, even to the point of death. The one who would be king would die for the sins and failures of his subjects. 
God would raise Him from the dead and He would ascend to heaven and become the forever King. He would partner with His Father in all things. This King partners with the Father in all things, in kingdom, in tribulation, and in perseverance. This King partnered with the Father fully so that by His death, He would satisfy God's wrath against unfaithfulness. Jesus Christ is that King. And He reigns in heaven and on earth. And He sent His people His Spirit. And His Spirit convinces the faithless image-bearer of their unrighteousness and indicts them of their transgression. So, if that's you this morning, I'm, I'm telling you this, that the Spirit has come to you through the preaching of God's Word right now. And the Spirit is calling you to enter into the kingdom. To enter partnership with Christ. Entering into the promise that Christ will preserve you by faith through many trials, through many troubles in this life. I'm not saying that your troubles will go away, but it is He who will preserve you through them. That He will take you all the way through them. And that King is coming back to gather His people. And He will have but one question when He comes back. One question. And He has this question now. And he told his disciples before he departed, when I return, will I find faith? That's the question. Will he find faith? He's calling you right now to turn from self-government, to leave behind autonomous rule. That is, that you are the king of your own universe. That you are the center of all things. Turn from that, he says, and turn to him and trust in the king, the one who is the king of heaven and earth. And you who sit here right now and say, well, I'm not the king. Yes, you are. You are your own king. You are your own master if you have not surrendered to the master of heaven and of earth. And he's calling you right now. And he's, he's calling you to put your faith and trust in the king who died. The king who died, he died to free you from your sins because he loved you. And because He loved you, He suffered. Because He loved you, He endured. He was fully God and fully man at the same time, and He suffered not thinking equality with God was a thing that He wanted to hang on to. He didn't hang on to it. He didn't hang on to His rights. He said, in love, I love James, and so I am going to lay down my life for him. I'm going to endure ridicule, although I'm worthy of praise for his sake. I want to partner with him. I want to preserve him because I love him. And for us, he's given us eternal life because God raised him from the dead. And that if you believe, you have eternal life. You have partnership in the kingdom. You are preserved in Him by faith through tribulation and trouble. So my question is, will you repent and believe? If you believe in your heart that Christ died for your sin against God and confess with your mouth that God raised Him from the dead, He has made you a partner in eternal life as a kingdom participant. Will you repent and believe? See, he's coming on a day and an hour when you least expect it. So right now, I am pleading with you. I am pleading with you. If you do not know Christ, if you've not surrendered, I'm pleading with you. Now is the time. 
Now is the time to surrender your heart to Christ. Now is the time to declare Him King. Now is the time to partner with Him. There's no other moment that is guaranteed to you. You have this moment. And if you are one who is here who has once surrendered to the King and today you think about your life and you think about the way things have gone and you've kind of been on the fence, you've been pretending and not really partnering. The King is coming on a day and an hour when you least expect it. So today is your opportunity to turn back in faith that you proclaim with your mouth and that you would engage your will according to His grace. That You would ask Him to engage you in kingdom faithfulness, to trust once again in the preserving power of God's grace in your life. You see, church, the faithful and sensible servant of King Jesus doesn't place their confidence in their circumstances. Confidence for kingdom people is that Christ was declared king through suffering. Christ was declared king through suffering. Listen to the song of heaven. Once again, I'm coming back to this. The song of heaven helps us with this whole book in Revelation 5, 9. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Confidence for the Christian is that Christ was found worthy Christ was declared king through suffering. Kingdom people reign as servants of the king and they enter the consummation of the king being preserved by grace through faith in Christ through the midst of trial, trouble, and suffering. The message of Revelation is about the coming king and a revelation concerning the king, his subjects, and that which must soon take place. What is and what will soon come to pass. It was communicated from heaven to his bondservant, John, who is one of the fellow partners in kingdom and in tribulation and in perseverance. A partnership in Jesus Christ with all who have been incorporated into him by faith and through faithfulness. John is the vessel through which the prophetic word concerning the things which will soon take place is delivered to his partners. Verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. You see, the message of Revelation is to be heeded. Grace and peace are granted to you who believe and remain faithful. The message is to be heeded because it is from Jesus Christ, the anointed one of God. The message is to be heeded because it's from the faithful witness of God, Jesus Christ, the true reflection of God's image in a human being. The message is to be heeded because it is from the one who overcame sin and death. And, and he has been declared to be the only Savior, but he is also Lord, Master, and King. The message is to be heeded because he is the King of kings and the ruler of highest authority. The message is to be heeded. The one who comes suddenly, he loved you and he laid down his life, freeing you from your sin. This message is to be heeded. Jesus' death has incorporated you into the kingdom. The one who heeds the message confirms that they have indeed been a made a kingdom and been made priest to their God. See, the message is to be heeded. The one who sends it, the one who is to come, has dominion over all of the earth now, and he has so in ever-increasing measure as each day draws nearer to his return. The message is to be heeded. Jesus Christ is the glory of God. 
See, this original church that he's giving these messages to, they needed to have reason to listen to John. You see, he's delivering a message not of his own imagination, but of revelation from the Spirit. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. He's telling them that this is something for you to pay attention to. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. This is a Spirit of heaven-given message to me. It's not my own imagination. It's not my own thinking. This is delivered to you from heaven. You, you must listen to me. You must heed the words of the prophet because they are the very words of God. The language of John as we study this prophetic book in nature is related to the language of Ezekiel. In later studies, we are going to see the symbolic language and that which is difficult to understand becomes a little clearer when we look back at the book of Ezekiel. So we'll do that a lot. And John wants the hearers in his day uh, to understand that the word that he delivers to them is the authoritative word of God. And he is intentional to communicate it using the language of the trusted prophet Ezekiel. You see, these Jewish believers would have understood, right, that, that, that Ezekiel was a trusted prophet. You could trust what his word said because what he said came to pass. And he's declaring here using the same language. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I'll give you some examples from Ezekiel that, that match up with this. I want you to hear this. And as he spoke to me in the Spirit, Ezekiel 2.2, as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Chapter 3, verse 12 of Ezekiel. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard a great rumbling sound behind me. Blessed be the glory of the Lord from his place. Chapter 3, verse 24. But the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet, and he spoke with me, and he said to me, Go shut yourself inside the house. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the east gate of the Lord's house, which faced eastward. Ezekiel 43, 5. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. So he's using this same language. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of the trumpet. You see, I want you to remember this too, back to chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John is a fellow bondservant of Christ. He's a fellow partaker in tribulation, a fellow partner in grace that is through faith, in the spirit, he was given a vision, the prophetic word of God, to be delivered to the partners of the gospel, and it is to be heeded as the very word of God. He delivers the word. He who delivers the word, you see, in this, in verse 3, is promised a blessing. And we who hear the word are promised a blessing if we heed and hear. Blessed is the one who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and heed the things which are written herein. So now he gives him in the Spirit his directive in verse 11. Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. The Lord has given the bondservant, the prophet, the apostle John a directive to be heeded by the church. The message is important for all churches in all places and in all denominational stripes in every century. 
It is a message to be heeded for every church congregationally. It is a message to be heeded for every member of every congregation. It's a message to be heeded by Spring Hill Church. We, as an embassy of the King, it is to be heeded by each one of us. Each one of you who are members of Spring Hill Church or members of another church, you are a subject of King Jesus. It's a message to be heeded. It is a promise to cling to. That there's a great future ahead for those who heed the words today. That you will be included in the consummation of the kingdom. You will be preserved all the way to the end. Though this world is troubled, and although you are experiencing trouble in Christ, this is your assignment. And He will preserve you all the way to the end through faith, according to His grace. Father in heaven, I pray that the pretenders be given grace to repent and return to partnership in Christ. I pray for those today who are pierced to the heart that they would be granted faith and that faith would move them to repentance. I pray, Lord, that our hearts have been readied to heed the words of this book in the coming days and in the coming weeks. Even though we are in days of trouble and we're guaranteed more days of trouble if you choose to have us remain, if you tarry, and those of us who have been given this faith this morning, we say, even so, Lord, come, Jesus, come.